Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Isaac Mack. Welcome to the MCC podcast. Joining us today is Mr. Mahar Murad. Mahar was born in Iraq and came to Australia when he was just eight years old. Mahar has a bachelor's degree in both theology and philosophy and has been a youth group leader for almost 11 years in the Melbourne Chaldean Catholic Church. He also runs a phenomenal page called Jesus Christ Daily on Facebook. Uh, Mahar has an amazing story of transformation and he's kindly agreed to spend the time with us to share his story. Mahar, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Isaac, you're welcome and thank you for this opportunity and great job what you do when you start on a podcast and you know, getting the stories out there, it's, it's great to see someone like you doing something like this also. Slowly, slowly, shwaya, shwaya. Yeah, we're getting it. Thank you. So how's, um, I, I actually lived in Melbourne for a good, almost four years. Uh, and we, we actually migrated up to New South Wales last year, but uh, so I'm still feeling the cold from, um, <laughs> but uh, Sydney's much better. Uh, yes, yeah, we're, we're a little bit out of Sydney, but yeah. But how's, um, how's life in Melbourne? I know you guys are still, is the curfew over or what's, what's happening? The curfew is over, but uh, we can't do anything anyway because <laughs> there's not much you can do. So we're, yeah. still, in, we're still in lockdown. So we're, we're hoping to open up. Um, we're hoping for the churches to open up. So I think slowly we can get back to uh, normal, whatever that may look like. But yeah, we're still in lockdown at the moment. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I spoke to our Archbishop and he was saying that uh, yeah, the churches are still the same. There's no there's no updates from the government on when they can go back to normal, even increase in numbers. So, yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's a sad part because even when the restrictions are easing in Melbourne, the church doesn't really have a spot in that easing of restrictions. So we, we're trying to find a petition against that because how's a fair where you can have people at the restaurants and pubs, but you can't have that many people in the church. So mm. we see a bit of... Um, bit of discrimination in that, in that moment. 100%. Petition's a great idea. I mean, mm. you do that. Um, but look, being that you've been, you guys have been forced to stay home a lot more, um, how, how, what's the positive you've found? You've obviously more family time and, and uh, maybe even more time to spend on, you know, Jesus Christ daily. Is that fair to say? It's, it's good and bad. It's got its mm. positives and negatives. Um, I think the negative about it is, you know, we, we, we're made social by nature, you know, we're meant to connect with people, see them face to face. You know, that's, that's what we're created to do. We're not created to isolate and talk to people online. Um, the positive thing that I see is that we're spending more time with family, mm. um, with the children. Um, I think we're getting closer to the faith in that perspective. It's leaving us no choice but to sit down and contemplate, well, what is God doing in our life? What is, what is God doing in this pandemic, you know? Indeed. So I think it's got a lot of negatives and positives, but I think the people that are struggling the most would be the, the young people the youth because they've got so much energy to give and they can't give that that's mm -hmm. where that's where it's hard so i, I feel their pain because that especially our Chaldean youth they were very active they were very into the church into youth groups and mm -hmm. just all that to be taken away from them it's not easy so i i sense that they're struggling a lot yeah right yeah well we'll keep praying that it's it's all back to normal asap um so i want to go i suppose get into your story in terms of you know how you came about to come to Australia and, and, you know, everything that happened between that moment to now. But, um, so you came to Australia when you were eight years old, yes? Yes. Okay, yeah, because I can relate. I think I've told you I, I was seven years old when we came to Australia. So where were you based? Where were you born? And, um, um, well, we were, I was born in Iraq, Zafo. Zafo. Um, so we came in only two. And it was really hard because we were the first, um, kind of the first settlers in, in Australia. So there wasn't many families here for us to kind of communicate with, kind of help us around one, you know, one way or another. So in Melbourne, it was, in Melbourne yes. Oh, really? So it was, 
it was really hard. So in only, they started in 91, late 91, the Chaldeans coming in. So we came in 92. So there wasn't many families at all. You can even count them. Wow. The amount of families they were here in Melbourne. So it was a massive struggle. You can imagine, you know, the, the cultural differences, the language yeah. barriers, you know, it was pretty tough. Um, one thing that never leaves my mind is when my dad first, first bought the car. And because no one knew how to teach my dad how to drive it, and he put an R because I was the first thing to put on the gear. And he, he thought he thought the car doesn't go forward. So he just kept reversing and reversing. So nobody told us that you can put on D and go move forward. <laughs> so, so that's just one struggle we faced, you know. But there was many struggles um, in that perspective, especially our faith. We couldn't communicate our faith, you know. We couldn't yeah. do much. So it wasn't easy for, um, for Keldins in 92 when they were in Australia. Oh, I can definitely relate. We, my parents migrated to Brisbane. And uh, I remember going from Al-Qosh, Mosul, where the church was so vibrant and went into a Catholic church in Brisbane and it was like a library. You were afraid <laughs> to say anything, you know, and, and as soon as I asked my mum something, I was a little kid. She was, shh, shh. <laughs> it's very different. Yeah, it was, it was a... <laughs> um, tell me, what do you, before coming to um, Australia, what are your, what's your recollection of Iraq? Was good memories? No, I was born into the Iraq and Iran war. Yeah. So no, didn't yeah. see anything good out of that. It's to be honest with you, I think I think as humans, our brains tend to block all the negatives when we're born. You know, sometimes I have these um these things that we actually actually thought happened in Iraq, and I tell my parents, did this actually happen? They said, no, this actually never happened. Oh. So I think I think a lot of things being gets filtered when you're younger, when you see traumatic things, and you start to build on that. You think, what's what what what, what was what what was wrong? But I do remember segments of, you know, people dying on the streets, um, not being able to go to school, not having a normal, you know, childhood. Um, and the sad part is a lot of um, Chaldeans who were living like that too. So it was a very long, hard lifestyle in Iraq, especially being in the midst of war, not being able to you know, see your parents, not be able to communicate with them as much because your dad is, you know, at war. So that sense of hatred towards Christians and Muslims, you know, yeah. it's just all this sense of hatred and hostility that, you know, you're born with. And I think the brain kind of filters that and doesn't like accept it as much. So in a good way, I don't remember much, but in another sense, I do hold into my identity and I'm proud that I am a Chaldean from Iraq and especially a Christian. So it's something that I can relate to and hold on to for, for the rest of my life. And I'm proud because I'm a Christian born into a Muslim world and, you know, raised in a, in a very Christian, you know, more like you know, in a very vibrant cushion where you give up your life for your faith. And that's, it's beautiful. That's something that's beautiful about our people. Amen. Um, I was going to ask you, I've lost my, lost my train of thought there, but that's, <laughs> okay. um, yeah, you, you had me, you had me in Iraq. Like in, in <laughs> I'm sure you've got a lot of stories to tell too, bro. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, no, it was, it was amazing. But um, once you came to Australia, uh, what was it like? Like I know, that, so there's the difficulties with you, I suppose, transitioning and everything like that. What about from then on? Did you did you settle in and were you were you a uh, restless, calm child, happy? <laughs> well, I wasn't. I wasn't always that calm child. No, um, it took a while until I kind of came out of my shell. Seeing we started having more cousins coming from overseas, more friends, and I've always had this connection with my. Um, with my own Keldin community. I've always wanted to be close to them. I've always had that sense of love towards my culture. I've always used to um, visualize my dad, the way he spoke, the way he stands and the way he sits when someone like a priest or a bishop comes over, you know? And it's something beautiful about the body language of our community. You know, there's certain things you do, certain things you can't do, you know, when someone like, you know, in a prominent uh, figure comes into your home. 
but it took a while yeah. for me to kind of get out of my shell. Um, and I remember, I remember very well that one time we were sitting down and I had my leg on top of my other leg. Oh, yeah. And the priest was over. <laughs> and then, and I was listening to the priest in conversation. They were just kind of, you know, visualizing everything. And after everything was gone, my dad said, do you know you were very rude today? And I go, why? He goes, you had your leg on top of your other leg while the priest was in our house. And I go, oh my God, so it's, 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 was it's an, at him? Uh, was your leg pointing at the priest? Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> it was it's a no-no. But um, I was young, so growing up in Australia, I think there's a lot to learn from our culture. And I think yeah. especially the younger generation, they're losing a lot of that cultural sense. And, and, and it's beautiful. Look, there's a lot of beautiful things we have in our culture that we're losing. So mm. I think it's up to us kind of to bring that back and, you know, make it make it more stronger in our presence. I 100% agree. I mean, I, I've told a lot of my younger cousins and even nephews that, you know, you're blessed here because you, you have the ability to take the good and the good from both cultures growing up in Australia. So don't forget your roots. There's so much goodness you can take from that. Our faith, our togetherness, you know, our community, our family values, and you can take a lot of good from the Australian culture as well. Like combine them. Don't, don't think you have to choose Is that. Would you agree with that? Very definitely. I always tell you, take what's good from our culture, leave the bad, and take what's good from the Australian culture and leave the bad. And combine, like you said, it's the best way you can do it. We have beautiful things in our culture that Australia can learn from a lot. Yeah, 100%. And uh, primary school, high school, everything was good for you? Primary school was good. Uh, well, as, as, as soon as uh, high school hits, that's when girls come into play. And that's when you kind of slowly leave, <laughs> slowly leave your faith and leave Jesus alone for a bit so you can have a bit of fun time. <laughs> <laughs> so it feels like you know high school is like a me time and you know it's not it's not about jesus it's not about church but um i was brought up in a very strict catholic uh family so my parents always used to force us to go to church never liked to go to church wasn't into really? it but i just done it because my parents wanted me to go so i was used to go sit at the back as soon as the church finished i was used to quickly get in the car and kind of leave but um did you try to sneak out after communion yeah but the church was used to look at us the priests <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was it was one of those things where you had to really be careful because we had a little very small church, so you oh. can see everyone what they're doing, you know, because it wasn't a big community, so you can see what everyone's doing. So it's it was pretty intense. So you had to really do it in a very smart way. <laughs> but yeah, I wasn't really into the faith. It was it was something that was um I started to leave aside because because coming and living in Australia, it's let's let's be honest, yeah. Australia is not a very friendly religious place. You know, it doesn't doesn't like talking about religion. Yeah. It doesn't really, in a sense, like religion. It makes people feel un uncomfortable, awkward. You don't talk about the religion, you know, in Australia. It's it's one of those things you think you don't have to talk about it. And that's the sense I kind of grew up in. And so growing up in high school, in a very secular high school, you know, you don't even talk about those things. And if you, if you actually ever mention anything like religion into it, you know, you get mocked and laughed at. I remember, you know, very vividly when I was in year nine, eight or year nine. Mm. And we were talking about um, um, biology, we were talking about history, we were talking about, you know, the, uh, like, you know, um, how, how humanity came to be. And then I kind of raised my hand and I said, well, didn't we all come from Adam and Eve? You know, they're just a, a very young, innocent answer, then we all come from uh, Adam and Eve. And I remember the whole class laughed at me. Wow. You know, and, it, and like there were Christians in there too, you know, they all laughed and that kind of, put me in a shell and said, well, obviously nobody likes to be laughed at, nobody likes to be mocked, especially when it's a whole crowd. Yeah. You know, it made me feel so little, so small. So I think that was in a sense where I kind of paused and I said, well, maybe I shouldn't mention this kind of stuff anymore because obviously no one likes to be humiliated. It's in our nature not to be humiliated in front of other people. So that was the first taste I got in high school where as soon as I mentioned religion, 
you know, you were mocked and laughed at. And they never forgot that. And they always kind of used it against me. So I thought the easiest way to kind of let that go was to um, not mention religion anymore. Be just be one of them. Yeah, yeah right. typical, yeah, typical, you know, um, teenager going after the things a teenager would do. And look, it didn't take long until I fell into um, following the wrong crowd, you know, going out with the wrong crowd. And look, I wasn't, I wasn't always a good boy. So I was, just in, was into trouble. Um, I always just go clubbing. And we felt like sometimes we wanted to look for trouble because it gave us that, you know, that, that vibe, you know, that adrenaline rush where you want to fight someone. And so we got into a lot of fights. Um, but there's one fight I never forgot, uh, Isaac. We were playing soccer one day and this boy, and this guy kept just, you know, bullying us and he kept, you know, butchering us with, with, the, with the soccer, with the soccer, the soccer skills. And it was pretty good too, so I must admit, so we couldn't get the ball off. <laughs> so they kind of added to our anger. Anyways, and he slot tackled me and I got really angry and I, we, we got into a fight with him. And um, we started punching him and I remember he fell on the floor and uh, there was a, this big log, you know, right in front of me. And I picked up the log and I wanted to hit him on the, with the log. And then this guy kind of pushed me, pushed me back and he goes, what are you going to do with that lock? I'm going to hit him with it. And he kind of pushed me and kind of covered me down and we all ran away because we heard the cops coming. Yeah. But it just goes to show Isaac that, you know, my whole life would have changed if I just let that lock out of my hands and hit on him. God knows what would have, what would have happened to him. It was a big lock too. Yeah, right. So a single, a single um, accident like that, man, can change your whole life. And then and I, go, I went to, you know, hanging out with girls. And look, it was all about me. You know, mm. life without Christ, Isaac, is about, it's about a selfish life. It's about how I can use that person to make myself happy. How yeah. can I use that girl to, in order for me to you know, gain any pleasure? What can I do? There's always, I do? There's always that void that you're trying to fill. Exactly, yeah. And, and no matter how much you fill it, it becomes more empty mm. with, the, with the worldly things. No matter how much you do it, it you know, becomes more empty. And you know, look, I must admit, um, Isaac, it was a very dull, it was a very empty life. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so it was just a usual going out with the boys, you know, going clubbing, um, pick, you know, picking fights, trying to pick up girls, you know, it was just an empty life, you know, and I just think about it and I go, wow, I go, this whole, this whole time my teenage years are wasted over what, over nothing, you know, these girls don't even matter anything to you. I mean, they don't even care about you. Most of them don't even care about you, you know, they're just, they're doing the same thing looking for self-pleasure, they're trying to, you know, empty, seek that um, emptiness where they can, you know, put some void in there, not knowing that there were so many chances that I can, I could have brought them back to faith if I had that opportunity when I was younger. But I fell into that trap like every other youth who is at the moment falling into that trap also, thinking mm. they can be happy when they go out and use girls and go out and buy expensive cars and do whatever they want and just blow their whole teenage youth for what? And they only, the sad part of the sad part is they only realize that when they get older. So did, that was going to be my next question. When did you start thinking this way? When did you start realizing, you know, all the things that you just mentioned that you're wasting your life and? I was at one with you. Jesus, in a way, cut my life short. <laughs> he cut my youth short. So, so also the fifth of May, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Sorry, when I had um, a dream about Jesus. So I had at, at that time I had uh, two girlfriends, which I'm not proud of, but I managed to um, have two in a row. But um, yeah, just. On that, on, that, on that day where I had a dream, it felt like just something so amazing. Uh, me and my friend were walking around the beach in our, in our CBD. So you would have been, sorry, you would have been in your 20s? I was 24, I think, 24, 25. So then just before, prior to that, so how was life before that dream? Like, 
Uh, it was the usual. It was just going out with the boys, kicking back with the boys, hey, you know, trying to pick up girls. Wasn't into church, wasn't into my faith. At, no, not a single bit. Not a single bit at all. So that I was, you would call that normal, typical, um, unpracticed, unpracticing Catholic. Okay. And was it a, did anything ever happen that you felt like you hit a real low point? Or was no. it just a consistent? No, it was consistent. No, I was, I was actually having a lot of fun. Well, seeing, of... seeing what's happening now, it's not a, it wasn't fun. But at that moment, I was having a lot of fun. I mean, I was, I was yeah. getting what I wanted, you know, you know, hanging out with the boys, having fun, you know, kicking back, picking up girls. It was it was fun at that moment, but seeing was seeing it in my point of view now, now that's that's a whole different world. Okay. And so you, so one night comes and you have a dream. Yeah. So I had a dream and just went like this. You know, me and my friend were uh, walking on the beach in our CBD, and then I saw an image in a, in the sky, and I said to my friend, "Look, look, there's an image in the sky. Let's go see what that is." Anyway, so we went towards it. We went towards it, and we. The closer we got, the more it started becoming more visible what that image was. You know, it was, it was Jesus. And his hand was stretched open like that, and he had a white robe. His face was like a dazzling white, and he had a goldish color hair, and he had a red striped robe around his shoulder. And I said to my friend, look, look, I get Jesus. And he goes, well, I go, look, I get his right there. Anyways, and he couldn't see him for some reason. I have no idea why. And um, so I was the only one that could see him, and Jesus started speaking. I can see his mouth moving. And I said, Jesus, what are you trying to say to me? I got, I can't hear what you're saying. And he started speaking again. And I said, Jesus, I got, I can't hear what you're saying. What are you trying to say to me? And he started speaking again. And I said, Jesus, I can't hear what you're saying. The noise is too loud in the background. What are you trying to say to me? And then he disappeared. Wow. And Isaac, man, this dream was like no other. I'm telling Isaac that dream, it was unbelievable, right? I woke up in the morning. I don't know what it was, but all I know, it was a divine intervention, man. That changed my whole life, my wow. whole life, man. I, that day, I broke up with my girlfriends, and I went and bought Bibles, and I gave a Bible to every girl that I dated. You gave them Bibles? I gave them Bibles to every girl that I dated at that time. Um, and let's, oh, just say there was, let's just say there was, there was a lot of Bibles too, Isaac. <laughs> so, what was their reaction when you... They, uh, they thought I was um, faking it. Oh. They thought I was being a fool. They thought I was, I was being stupid. Just but, a joke. But yeah, it was just a joke. But Isaac, that dream changed my life. Bro. That was it. And that sealed my path for the rest of my life. Now, yeah. people, people can say, you know, dreams that, you know, come and go. It depends what you, you know, what you saw that day. But to be honest with you, Isaac, I never cared about religion. I never thought about Jesus. And mm. you know what? Maybe, maybe some, it can be just a dream. But I can, I have no doubt in my heart that there was a divine intervention in that dream. If there wasn't, not in a million years will I have changed. Not in a million years, Isaac. It was, it must have been divine intervention for me to change all my ways, bro. Yeah. It couldn't be anything else. I mean, I just listening to you talk, uh, I could see that you were getting emotional about it, and obviously it was a dream that was very, it felt so real, didn't it? It did. It really did. It just felt like one of those out of body experience. Yeah. It, it felt like no other man, no other. No. For something to transform your whole life, because you know, change takes time. It takes time to change your attitude. It takes time to change your personality. It takes, it takes time to the way, the way you act, the way you behave, the way you talk. But yeah. that dream, man, that came in a package just like that, and that was it. That sealed my path. And then, how quickly did you get into studying theology and and all that? 
at, at that moment, I went ask, I went uh, speak to a lot of priests about what that dream meant. And okay. only one priest stuck by me what he said. He goes, Maya, he goes, Jesus is trying to call you, but your, your world is so loud that you can't even hear him. Okay. And that was the turning point. And I go, that is it. I go, God has called me. I go, I'm following. Man, I, there was times I was staying up six hours in the middle of the night to read in the Bible. You know, I stayed up reading and I want to read as much as I can. I want to know as much as I can about the faith. I want to know everything that I, I believed in. I started attending church. I started getting involved in my community. I started getting um, involved in my Saturday school, teaching the little kids. Man, it's, and I just, and I realized then what my path was in life. And that was to always keep following Christ and get everyone back on the boat and follow Christ also, man. What was your family's reaction? Because obviously you were raised in a strict Catholic church and they'd seen you sort of walk away from your faith and not really be interested for so long. What was their, like your parents or your family's reaction? They said, they said, my head, the only way you were going to change was Jesus himself. Nobody else was going to change you. <laughs> so, <laughs> you, must, you must have heard them. <laughs> yeah, they did. They knew I was a very cheeky boy. Um, they thought I was going to end up in prison or, you know, or up to no good. They really mm -hmm. did. But um, that made them really happy. They um, made them really glad. And because of that, I brought my family closer to the faith. And it's Isaac, it's unbelievable how one person in the family can make such a difference in the whole family. You know, it changes the whole aspect of the family and how, how you can behave, how everyone can be. You know what I mean? Just by one person, the whole family can kind of absorb your energy and absorb that faith that you have um, to Christ. And, it's, and they're the most happiest people. I mean, one person can change the world. I mean, look, look at the impact you're having, like online and, you know, within the youth and, and, and everyone, you know, that, uh, that listens to your uh, material. So. Yeah, Isaac, it's, you know what it is, Isaac, it's, it takes courage, bro. You know, if one person can just stand up and just follow the faith, you know, a lot of people will follow. You know, Isaac, last year I started working at, um, at a secular university and my job was to promote the Catholic faith. Okay. And all those people who worked before me, they just couldn't, they couldn't know how to do it, you know, in, in a way, in a way, in, in that perspective. But, you know, there was, there's like a little hub at the university where everyone kind of meets. Okay. And I said, okay, 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 let's go in the middle of that hub and let's just go proclaim we're Catholics. We're going to have science. It's like a, it's like promotion night where everyone comes promote their club. Sydney has it also like a, a Catholic club, yes. you know, and we just stood there. We had our posters. We're Catholic, you know, we joined our Catholic club and you know, Isaac, it was really appealing to the people. It was really attractive because Catholics in general, this is where the South parties, uh, Isaac, Catholics in general hold their faith to themselves. They don't like sharing it because they get scared. No. And there's a couple of reasons why they get scared. One is because Catholicism is highly um, criticized in the world. And to them, it feels like it's not cool to be a Catholic. And to see us standing in the, in the middle of that hub while everyone's walking around and to see that we're promoting and we, you know, we're, we're proud Catholics, it really attracted a lot of students. Just by that day, Isaac, we, we attracted like, what, 70 or 80 signatures of people wanting to get involved in, uh, in our club. And what they saw was something that they wanted. You know, they saw someone who's Catholic, they're courageous, they're not afraid, they're not embarrassed, they're not humiliated, and they're just proud to be Catholic. So well, that's what um, the young generation want to see. And I think if we keep doing that, we're going to get more Catholics on board, and the, our church is going to be more vibrant, man. I can't agree with you more. And one point you touched on why people are a little bit embarrassed, I suppose, or afraid to talk about being Catholic. So there is, you're 100% right, it's very, it's very criticised you know, worldwide in the media and everything. They, they really go after it hard. Um, but I want your thoughts on this as well. Like we talked about 
a little while ago coming from Iraq to Australia and going to the different churches, it's a, it felt for me personally like a different world going from the church, like, like I said, in a Qosh or Mosul where the, you feel so uplifted going to the church and everyone's singing, hands raised, where, you know, you go to a Catholic church, an Australian Catholic church, and everyone is quite like mice. Mm. Do you think it has a little bit to do with that as well? Yeah, look, I think, Isaac, it's in our blood, in the Chaldean blood. You know, we're, we love our faith a lot. You know, we're, we're, not, and we're not ashamed to show it. Yeah. And, this, and this is a beautiful site. Look, I've been to a lot of Latin Roman Catholic churches, and look, they're beautiful. I mean, at university, they're all Latin churches, um, the way we perform the Latin Mass. But there's something about the Chaldean church that has something different, Isaac, to work compared to other churches. You know, when I went to Gold Coast for, um, for a holiday, I was expecting to see a lot of youth at that church. You know, and I must have saw like two or three in a full Sunday, Sunday Mass, and it really upset me. That was my first time attending a Mass, um, the, in a Latin Mass. And then you come to our church, Isaac, you know, you don't have to look long any, any harder. You'll see a lot of youth. You know, the youth are filled inside the church, you know, yeah. and they, they want to be involved. They want to work. They want to, you know, be up there with the church and with the masses. And I think the Chaldean church has a, has a beautiful thing that they can offer to the world, especially Australia. Australia needs to see the Chaldean church and the Chaldean, the Chaldean way of living into the faith. I think they can get a lot from that. I truly do. Yeah. I can't agree more. I mean, uh, and uh, what happened from there? So basically you had the dream, a lot of things changed and then um, theology. So you studied both theology and philosophy. I started, uh, I wanted to get to know my faith more. So I started studying theology at the Catholic Theological College here in Melbourne. Um, At the same time, I was getting involved in my church a lot. I started participating in the youth groups um, with the Shamasha also. So I basically want to do everything. At one stage, I was attending all three Masses. The first Mass, second Mass, and third Mass. <laughs> so you can just imagine my love towards my faith at the, um, at the start. But um, yeah, we started, I started studying theology and philosophy, getting involved a lot in the church. And then that's when I met my wife at church. She okay. was um, part of the choir, and we were working at um, Sanat Marapram um, Festival. Okay. The door, the door just opened and this girl just walked in and just I felt like a movie. So the guy said, this is the girl, Maya. <laughs> so it kind of made it very easy for me to, uh, to know who that girl was. <laughs> yeah, and I got married and uh, she's probably one of your people, um, Alkosh. So oh, you know, Alkosh. So beautiful, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful girl. Um, and that's when we got married. Yeah, we got married uh, in 2011. Okay, fantastic. But sorry. I, sorry. sorry. Um, priesthood never came into the picture. Obviously, you uh, made- it, it did. It did. It did a lot, Isaac. It, it was it was a struggle. Um, I remember sitting down with uh, with my uh, with uh, with my wife, and I was telling her, like, "I feel like God is calling me to the priesthood, but at the same time, I'm not too sure. I'm okay. not too sure what it is. So I really did want to become a priest. Um, but for some reason, God led me into into um, marriage life. At the same time, I was like, God, I think he's still calling me into the priesthood. Uh, he's not leaving me alone. Yeah. So I'm still discerning. So the, the beautiful thing about the Chaldean church is we're allowed to become priests. So yeah. I'm still discerning. So, and I feel like God is leading me to that path. But I'm trying to discern whether this is actually what he wants from me or not. That's great. And uh, you're, you're now father. I saw your video on uh, Facebook where you're, you're praying with your two beautiful girls that... Um, they got yeah, a lot two, of 
<laughs> two cheeky girls. I had, to, I had to cut the video short because it became cheeky after that. Oh, <laughs> but yeah. then two of the girls. Of them walking off. She's walking. Yeah. That's when the chicken started. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm um, here, yeah, two beautiful girls. One, her name is Mariam, and the other one, her name is Rosary. But before that, uh, we had two boys who are with the good Lord now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I heard that. What, ha what happened there? So one was... Um, yeah, big... so after, after, my, after I got married, a couple of months later, my wife fell pregnant. And, you know, just like every other, every other man and, you know, woman, we're very excited having a first child, you know, it's something we were looking forward to. And everything positive was, you know, coming our way. And we were so happy. And I remember when I bought a little suit for when we found out it's a boy. And we bought, I bought a little suit. And then on the way to the hospital, because it was like a break, and I went to the hospital, I put the suit in the car, and, and that's when we heard this devastating news that no parents want to hear. And they said that um, they labeled our child as an abnormal child. And it was when you wonder why would they call it abnormal, you know, it's this whole different, different. And then, then they gave us devastating news. And then they said to us, uh, look, your baby is abnormal. His heart is, is you know, it's twisted. It's all the other way around. So the front of the heart is facing backwards, the back of the heart is facing forward. He's got no spleen, his lungs are not developing, um, and his, his main, four main vessels of the heart, one of them has come across his throat, so, the, man. How, this is, how old was he then? Uh, the first ultrasound, so it must have been like three months, I think that's when they do oh, it, 24 oh, weeks. Okay. Something like that, so it was, it was our first scan. Yeah, right. When we found out, we were on to find the, the gender of the child, that's when they gave us this devastating news. And since then, Isaac, man, it was a roller coaster. Now you can just imagine every single time after that we went to the hospital, they were offering us abortion. They were giving us this news. And you can imagine every time going back home, the wife would be crying in the car the whole way nonstop, man. Wow. It wasn't something that you'd always, I would never wish upon this with anyone, you know, a family would hear. No. But we kept going with it, you know. And I remember one time vividly, they put us in an office, like a little room. Um, and the doctor came up to us, he goes, look, because we strongly, um, encourage you both to take uh, have an abortion you know think how about old, an abortion how long how how far along was this it was the fourth i think the fourth or the fifth month okay so they were trying to encourage us um to have an abortion and i remember isaac one one special moment it was a, it was a catholic um hospital um and then i turned around and they had like this little background screen on the computer um when the, when the computer got slipped this whole monitor coming you know, out starts to um, put the screensaver up and it said we follow the footsteps of Jesus Christ and his passion and, and towards humanity and that's then that's when I said you know what I go I go, no way no way we're gonna have an abortion I go we have no right to do this you know and the, the, the sad part is I was like will have the Christians tell us to go for an abortion and, and these are Christians they should be telling us not to even think about an abortion you know and these are people trying to encourage us to have an abortion I was going to ask you about that yeah that's I was surprised to hear that yeah, it was really sad, Isaac, you know, and these are, and the, the, the sad part is, Isaac, these are people who were close to the church also, always attending church. Wow. Now, look, they probably didn't mean, mean any harm. I mean, they probably don't know any better. You know, you'll be really surprised, Isaac, a lot of our people don't know the faith very well, man. You know, yeah. it was when you start to realize, you know, do people actually know the faith? You know, some Catholics actually think that abortion is okay. Some Catholics think that contraception is okay. You know, there's a lot of Catholics actually who actually don't know the faith. So I don't really blame them for coming up to us, telling us, you know, having abortions, so I only hold it against them. But um, you can imagine the next nine, you know, couple of months after that, um, how bad it was. Every time we went to the doctors, they were telling us something differently. They were saying at one stage, um, the spleen didn't exist, but then they found that it did exist. 
I one time they found out he didn't have a liver, then they found out that he did have a liver. Wow. But um, he came into existence, so they said to us that um, he wasn't going to make it, so you guys aren't going to hear this baby cry, he's going to come out, and he's not going to be crying, he's going to be a dead, a dead child. And I said to my wife, you know what, like, we're just going to keep going. I go, well, God gave us his child. I go, if he wants to take it take him away from us, he's going to take it, he can take it away from us. Yeah. But you know, Isaac, I put myself up for a challenge that I knew for the rest of my life was going to impact me. I knew that this child could die any moment in my hands. I knew that his heart can stop and I have to do CPR on him. You know, I knew that economically, financially, physically, everything was going to go against me in my life. And, I'm, and I knew that life was going to be a one crazy lifestyle if I had this child. Yeah. But you know, Isaac, I wouldn't be able to handle myself and live my life knowing that I've killed my own son, man. Yeah. So I said to my wife, I could no way, I could not in a million years, I might even ever think about having an abortion. Yeah. So we went ahead with it. He came out crying and he was the most beautiful child. I was like, man, he was, he was, he was unbelievable. You know, he had beautiful features. The sad part is only internally there were problems, but outside he just looked like a beautiful child, man. Beautiful face, small nose, beautiful eyes. You know, it was just an amazing scene to see. Hmm. But, um, as you know, I was like, man, it didn't take, it didn't take long after a month, you know, that, that was it. He, the main thing that caused his death was uh, that uh, the main vessel of the heart who kind of kind of suffocated him, couldn't breathe anymore. Yeah. But you know, you know, Isaac, I, I took it pretty, pretty cool, man. You know, I knew God was there to strengthen us. And, and thank God there was someone like me there with my wife in, my, in the life of my wife, because my wife would have had a, um, had, had a downturn, man. She would, have, she would have lost all hope for life. You know, it just gets to show when something like that happens, you need someone there to strengthen another person, man. And I thank God so much that he gave me the, the, the strength that I needed to, to go ahead with this, um, with the death of my child. And you know, it wasn't easy to bury a child, man. No child should, um, no father should bury a child. No. Always a child should bury the father. So it wasn't, it wasn't easy to see a little small coffin going into the ground and, you know, being, and having our own son buried. Not to mention, you know, my family were devastated too. This was, you know, our first son coming to our family, man. So it wasn't easy. But after that, you know what? You know, we kept going. I said to my wife, you know, I go, what's the point of stopping? I go, the world doesn't stop for anyone. I was like, you know, no matter what you do, the world's not going to stop for you. And we, some of the things with the center of attention, center of the world. But the, the truth is, Isaac, man, when you're gone, the world moves exactly the way it's moving before you even come to the existence. You're a, you're a drop in the ocean. Exactly right. So I told my wife, I go, look, like, the world's not going to stop for us. We had a lot of support from the community. The community loved us, you know, and were there to support us in every year, in every way possible. Hmm. So I said to my wife, let's have another, let's have another chance and try it. You know, what's the worst going to happen? We've already been, we've already seen the worst. Anyway, so we had another child. The first one we had named him Yeshua after Jesus. Oh, beautiful. So we had, we had another, we had another child. We tried and, and then we went to the doctors and they said to us, this child is healthy. This child is good. There's nothing wrong with this child. And they specifically gave us one doctor, one professional doctor to be with us the whole time. Every time we knew that person, we'd contact him, he'll be able to see us. We only go see one doctor, we don't go see all other doctors. We have to keep telling our story over and over and again. Yeah. And everything was fine. And on the third month, uh, the first ultrasound scan, you know, that was the hardest time because that's when you, that's when they gave us the devastating news for the first month. Yeah. So you can imagine how hard to stop in your heart, beating so fast, you know. But, um, and then that's when they said, you know, this, this child is perfectly healthy. There's nothing wrong with this child. Go home. You're going to have this child. You're gonna, it's going to get delivered. Everything's going to be fine. And every two weeks we used to go to the hospital. It's the same thing over and over. 
this child is healthy, nothing like the first child, go home, everything is fine. You're gonna, you're gonna have this child, you're gonna have this baby boy. Mm. Just towards the end, around the ninth month, just before my wife was due, now my wife kind of felt, didn't feel the baby moving as much. No. So, and I went to the hospital, being paranoid because of what happened to the first child, obviously. So we went to, we went to the hospital and we said, look, we don't, you know, my wife doesn't feel comfortable. She does, she's not feeling the baby moving as much as he was before. Hmm. Anyways, and they put her under the ultrasound. They gave everything's fine. Go home, and we said, "Look, we don't feel comfortable. Can we? Can we please, you know, can we please stay here at the hospital? But because of what happened the first one, we yeah. just would be more comfortable to stay here." They said, "No, no, no, no. Go back home. Go back home." And you know, we went back home, Isaac, and and that was it. We came back a day after, and the baby was dead in the mother's in the mother's uh, womb. And yeah. you know, it kind of frustrated me, Isaac, because they just wouldn't believe us. You know, sometimes no matter how much, how expert and how knowledgeable you are with this med, with, med, with medicine, sometimes that, that mother has a gut feeling. Now, sometimes they should you know, take that on board, but they, came, but they came from the medical side of view. So they said, no, it's okay. So don't worry about the gut feeling, just go home. Mm-hmm. So, and then my wife had to deliver another, another dead child. Um, so we had to bear with that child also. We buried that child on top of our first child. So we buried two, two boys. So then we said, Isaac, you know, we said that wasn't going to stop for us, man. We've got to keep going. Well, uh, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, to keep going at that point, I think, you know, I take my hat off to you and God bless you. Cause man, I've got a, I've got one three-year-old boy and I know when you're going through that um, pregnancy period, especially the first one, you know, there's so much excitement and to deal with what you had to deal with in that time and then and to do it twice, it's, yeah, but it's funny what you not funny, sorry, but it's interesting what you said about the strength that you had throughout that time. I, I you know, in my life, I've, uh, you know, you, you come across death, you come across tragedies and all sorts of things. And a lot of times you don't think you actually have, you know, for example, you go to a funeral or you're going to something that you just don't feel like you have the strength to, to do it. But all of a sudden, this strength comes about you. You know, and I've always believed that's God gives you that strength to be able to, you know, face these things. That's virtue, Isaac, man. Look at, yeah. And look, there's always a reason why God would do the things that he does in specific times, man. Look, I truly believe, Isaac, God called me, you know, um, when, he, when, he put it, when he put himself in my dream, yeah. you know, because he knew this, this, is, this was going to be into my path. Not that he caused it, but this was, this was in my path coming. And I think he needed someone strong to strengthen the wife. Because I'll tell you, Isaac, if, if, if wasn't God in the midst of our relationship, and my wife would have fallen, man. She would have fallen. She wouldn't have gotten back up. And I don't, and I don't imagine any woman with without the strength of God would be able to move on, man. I think you would both would have crumbled without God. Yeah, I truly believe so too. And I tell my wife, I go, if it wasn't for God, I go, man, I would, I would, I wouldn't have any meaning towards this. You know, I was reading the Bible the day, the night that my son passed away, because that was only my source of strength. You know what I mean? And I remember Isaac that that. That week my son passed away, I attended church because I never like to miss church. No matter where I am, I don't miss church. And, you know, and I got up and read the St. Paul's letter. It was okay. the hardest letter I ever read. But there was the only reason why I read it. Because I want to show people that the church and God is more important than anything that comes our way. Wow. Even the death of my son should, shouldn't have taken me away from Mass. So I went specifically to be an example to others that if anything happens in your life, no matter how tragic it is, don't leave God and don't leave the church. Because that's your source of um, strength. That's a great example. But um, yeah, after that, Isaac, we tried for the third one. Um, and we said, look, what's, what's the worst that can happen? We've buried two children, man. What's the, you know, what's the worst that can happen after that? A couple of months after Isaac, we found out 
that um, that it's an ectopic pregnancy. That the child is growing outside the uterus, and it's growing, it's growing outside of it. So, what they have to do, they go if we leave it, if we kept going, I get the wife can um, potentially die from this because it's growing, it's growing out of the uterus. So it it, it can it can explode. There's cells growing, so we have to we have to have a surgery to um to take this out. So the third one was an ectopic also. So my wife had a surgery um, to take it all out and. You can imagine, man, that was the third time I was like, <laughs> so, and you know, when we told the doctor, this is the third time it's happened, they couldn't believe it. They said, this, it's very, very rare for anyone to go three pregnancies in a row with something like this. They go, they go, it's possible, but it's very rare. The, you know, the the first... only, sorry, the only people I know that have gone through things like that, I actually know them personally, people that went through the Iraq, the Gulf War, and there was the chemicals and all that stuff. There were mothers that actually had you know, four, sometimes four or five, you know, as in uh, stillborn babies and all that stuff. And that, yeah. that's only because of all the chemicals that were in the body and the people that, that went through that. But I, up until I met you, I hadn't heard of that here. Yeah, it, it, this is pretty rare. The first child, this is the condition he had, it's one in 10 million, man. So yeah. it's, it's like, it's like there's 10 million people in the stadium and said, okay, Mahia is going to be the one we're going to have this child. Wow. So it wasn't easy. But you know what, Isaac? We just have to keep going, bro. We had to keep going. I said to my wife, I go, I go, if we're going to stop, I go, the world's going to eat us up. And I knew Isaac, I knew for a fact that if my wife didn't have a child, she would have been depressed for the rest of her life. You know, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's motherhood, man. They feel that women sometimes feel like they, it's like it's part of their nature to have a child, to nurture a child. And you know, it, and it's not easy when someone, someone can't have a child. It can really resemble, resemble how they, how hard it would be for them. Yeah. So we just kept going and then, the fourth one, a beautiful, healthy, beautiful girl, Mariam, we have now. And then we try for another one. We have another one, Rosary. And, and it's the most beautiful thing. It just goes to show, man, that if you keep going, God always finds a way. I mean, look, I never blame God. Some people say this is good. This is God's doing. I mean, God doesn't want us to feel pain or, you know, or to kill our children. That's not God. That's not the God, of, that we, the God we believe in. You know, and there you go. We kept going. Now we have two beautiful, cheeky girls. And they're, they're the love of our life, bro. They're beautiful. And was the, can I just ask the pregnancies, obviously everything was smooth? The last two? Yeah. They're as smooth as they can get, bro. As smooth as they, that's all I always say, you know, to, um, to couples, never give up. You know, mm. no matter how much they've been through it, you can't give up, Isaac, man. As soon as you give up, that's it, you've lost it. You've yeah. lost, I mean, if we gave up, we would never see our two beautiful girls, you know, who, it's like, it's like a treasure on, on earth, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, God, God bless you both. That's, Thank That's you. an absolutely uh, beautiful and, you know, such an inspiring story. And um, I don't think I even need to ask you this, but I, I was thinking when I was listening to your story before whether, you know, you felt anger, whether you felt blame and all that stuff, but it doesn't sound like you really stopped to, to, to do that, did you? You just kept focused on what you, what you wanted. Is that? Yeah, that's very true. No, I never had any anger, no yeah. anger towards my faith, no anger towards my God. Nah. Not a single, to be honest with you, Isaac, I wouldn't change anything, bro. I wouldn't change anything. If God said to me, Mahia, this is your life, this is your path. Do you want to go through it? I'd be here, man. Just the way you want it, I'll go through it. And I think what it did, Isaac, the thing with that with when a death comes into the family, it has two effects. One, it can really destroy your faith. Yes. If you don't watch out. Or two, yes. it can really strengthen your faith. Correct. And, and the sad part is, it's just two of those. There's no, there's no gray, you know, there's no, no it's black and white when it comes down to that, man. It's, it's going to strengthen you or it's going to, it's going to cripple you. So 
I really thank God that he strengthened my faith, man. And, you know, I stood up to God in every aspect. And I think this is what God wants me to, to do, you know, it's to, um, to show his beauty and his love in the midst of death in a family, man. Hmm. And, and I suppose your advice is to people who are going through either miscarriages or, you know, anything like that, just to keep going. Just keep going. As soon as you stop, Isaac, you've lost. You've lost it, man. But look, it takes, it takes, it takes a strong personality, man. It takes a strong character. You really need God in your life to keep going. Without God, you can't keep going. I mean, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for my faith, what would I go for? What would I want to go through having another child? I would just, you know, stay with my wife, enjoy my life, do whatever I wanted to go travel. But no, man, God has a bigger purpose than, than just being selfish. Did you pray? I suppose, obviously, you prayed a lot, but did you, did you pray for a certain thing when, when it came to, say, your fourth attempt? You know, Isaac, when, when they told us that our child was going to come out not breathing, you know, it's going to come out dying, and I went, I went to, the, to the bathroom. I couldn't come out for my wife because I wanted to kind of strengthen her in, that, in, that, in the midst of hardship. Yeah. And I said, God, I, go, I have no idea what you're doing in my life. I go, but you know what? I got to trust you. I go, let your will be done. And that's all I said. I go, let your will be done. I go, that's it. And, and I've always remembered that prayer. I have no idea what, what he was doing. But you know what? I trusted him. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was always hard, Isaac, after that. You know, every time my wife was pregnant, of course, I was prayed to God. And I was prayed and I said to God, I go, Lord, I go, I pray that there's children in my house one day crying and screaming. And he's doing a lot of that too. So, so I think I asked for a bad thing. There was crying and screaming. <laughs> so I thank God for that. Well, you said something really interesting, which was, uh, and I had a, a friend of mine years ago taught me this, because a lot of people, when tragedy happens to them, death, whatever you want to, whatever happens, they, they, they see that as the will of God, as in, oh, I had a bad car accident, I lost my legs or something like that. They see that as a will of God. And I, I remember an old friend of mine said to me, uh, this is not the will of God. The will of God is not to cause you harm or pain. Uh, what you do with it is the will of God. And, That's and, very true, Isaac, yeah. And that really switched, I suppose, the way I was looking at life at that point. Yeah, Isaac, I remember certain people were coming up to me, saying to me when, you know, when the third tragic uh, happened in my, in my life, yeah. they were saying that I have a curse from God or that I must have done something, that God is punishing me. That and, sort of... Yeah, Isaac, and, and, and this, these are, these are 2,000-year-old ideologies, you know? Yeah. And, and I, it really baffled me to know that, you know, there's Christians out there that, man, they have no idea what they're talking about. Someone, someone's giving you the eye. like the Exactly eye. right. And I remember, I remember this, um, this lady came for an eye, and, you know, my son, and I go, I go, what's the eye for? She goes, I'll take care of him. I go, but I go, oh, he needs the cross. Yeah, it's God yeah. that needs him. It's God that needs this, you know? That's not, not the eye, man. But, um... Yeah. But unfortunately, Isaac, that's, that's what we come up with. That's how we are. But you know what it is, Isaac? One thing that you realize after going through something like this, you start to see God in a different way. How? You start to see God in a more compassionate, merciful, loving way. You know, when, God, when, when an infliction or pain or death happens, you know, it's never God that does that. You know, and I always use this example, um, Isaac, you know, you, you, have, you have a child, you know, if your child ever rejects you, if your child ever rebels against you, you never want to cause them any harm. So if you, Isaac, and me, who are imperfect, who are sinless people, know how to treat our child, imagine God who is the most merciful, compassion beyond limits, what he would do for us. I mean, what would he inflict pain on us when we wouldn't do it for our own children? We are sinful people, but he is sinless. It doesn't make sense. And, and, on, and I think when you have start to realize that, you realize how God really is. And it's the most beautiful side of God that you will, um, will imagine.
Beautiful. When did you start? When did you have the idea to do Jesus Christ daily? Was that after all this? It, I think it was around eight years ago. Okay. So um, it was it was originally designed for my community, for the Keldin community. So I um, I created it. I get I'm only gonna put the Keldin Keldin friends in here, and it's just gonna be among us. So it's just gonna be for for our people. Yeah. And then it grew, it grew, it grew. Now it's now from I think I can see the statistics. There's around eight thousand in Mel from Melbourne. There's around seven thousand from Sydney. So there's it's all around the world. So there's some from America, from Canada. Believe it or not, some some from Bangladesh, India. So really? it's kind of yeah, it's kind of grew out of um out of the community. And look, the beautiful thing about that group is I get a lot of private messages from people who want to learn more about the faith, who um are curious about the faith. And the sad part is they don't know many people that can answer their questions. And I think if we're going to keep going, if we need to, if we need Catholic Catholicism to survive in Australia, we all need to know what we're talking about. We all need to be equipped with the faith, know how to answer anyone that comes your way, man. And yeah. the sad part is a lot of people that I get up, they message me, they don't have any friends, as much Catholics they have, they don't know how to answer their questions. I mean, okay. I'm, I'm one person, we need a lot of people who can, who can keep the faith going. I mean, you're doing an amazing thing. Um, but can I ask you a lot of these people, because I've talked to our Archbishop about this and hence why every time I've talked to him, you know, I've messaged people and got questions from in particular the youth to ask him. And the reason why I do that is because I remember being that guy, you know, at 17, 15, 21, going, but what about this? What, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. And not, not knowing where to go to ask these questions. You know, reading the Bible and going, I still don't get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's very true. I, think I remember the first reading the Bible, Isaac, and I went to four Gospels and I go, I go, what is this talking about? Because four people are saying it's the same thing. I go, because it, it even sounds like there's some contradictions in here. Yeah. So you're, and there wasn't many people that I can go to and um, get answers from. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and you feel like that Jesus Christ is providing that. I mean, I've watched your videos, like, for example, you explaining the Hail Mary, explaining even the difference between Christian and it. Uh, Islam, which I thought was, you know, fantastic and really interesting as well. So that is that your main fo focus or purpose? I think I was like my main purpose is to to evangelize the Catholics and to equip the, to equip them with the things that they need to um, for the outside world. I mean, look, they come to they come to youth group, they come to church, mm -hmm. but once they step out of that church, now the youth group, they're on their own and they need to defend their faith. And I think we all need to defend our faith. Isaac, like, you know, um, the secular world is eating us alive. And we just need to keep going. And I think it, it's up to us individuals also to keep the faith going. You know, I hear a lot of people say, why doesn't the church do that? Why doesn't the church do this? And I go, well, why don't you do that then? Why don't you do it? You know, it's always, it's always, why don't they do it? I go, well, why don't you do it? You step up and do something. Yeah. yeah. And, you, and you'll, start, you'll start to realize, Isaac, that as soon as you stick up to your faith, man, then you know, people will respect you more, Isaac. You know, I remember when I was at work, you know, they were trying to force me to work on Sunday with this, um, with one of my boss, and I said, look, I'm not gonna work on Sunday because I, I go to church mm -hmm. on Sundays. You know, and she goes, oh, well, you do realize you can get sacked. And then I go, look, I go, this is my, this is my faith. I'm not gonna bend it for anything. I go have church on Sunday. I don't work on Sundays. And I was like, and they were understandable, understanding uh, about that. And I think this is the way the thing, the Catholics, they're very, to themselves, they get scared to speak up. No, I said, like, they need to speak up. You know, if they're, if they're asking to work on Sunday, well, they just tell them, well, I work on Sunday. If they ask to lie, well, I don't lie. I'm a Christian. If they ask to go to the strippers, I don't go to strippers. I'm a Christian. You know, I was like, I came to Sydney once. And I don't, I don't mean to badmouth Sydney. I came to Sydney once. Right. And we, you know, I was playing pools. You, you can say everything because I don't. <laughs> and I was playing pools with my friends. 
And this yeah. lady comes past and she um she goes, Oh, she goes, Can one of you take me to strippers? And I says, So lady. I go, a lady, yeah. No. And I says, I go, so I go, um, I go, we don't go strippers, I go, I will go, I'm a Catholic. And and I was like, she cracked up laughing. She cracked up laughing at me. She was she it's like the funniest thing she ever heard. And I go, What are you laughing at? She goes, You're the first Christian I've ever, I ever heard that he's you know, he says that. She goes, No Christian says that every Christian I, I say, they always take me and they're the ones that they are pushing me to go. Wow. And that was when I go, oh my God, go, how sad is that? that she's never heard a Christian say that. Oh. So that was, that was, that was um, kind of in a way me putting God's, God's seed in her heart. And then, and I'm pretty sure she will never forget that. And I will never forget that also. No. So you've gone from the um, grade nine kid that was embarrassed to speak in class about being Catholic and now to be, you know, boisterous and, and uh, unapologetic. You know, I was like, I wish I can go back to high school and uh, with, the, with the knowledge that I have now. <laughs> <laughs> man, I'll tell you, they wouldn't be mocking me in class, that's for sure. No, I mean, no. I'll be sticking up to my faith every time, man. And I think that'll be the most amazing thing. But, but I don't have that opportunity, which is sad. So uh, I want you to speak to people um, that are a little bit lost at the moment. So, you know, I've, I've talked to a few people in Brisbane and Sydney and even in Melbourne, people that I know. And, you know, like I said, I've got questions for them to give to the Archbishop as well. But what, what would you say to people? Like you had, a, you had a life-changing moment. You had a dream where you basically spoke to Jesus and everything changed for you. For people that haven't had something like this, but are just feeling a little bit on the fence, you know, they've grown up like we've grown up in the Catholic Church and, you know, had sometimes even the Bible shoved in our face, you know, as, as we're growing up. I mean, that parents try their best. But what would you say to people that are, um, you know, they know God is there, they know there's church, but they just don't, they just don't connect with it. Yeah. You know, what, what do you, what, what, where, they, where can they start? You know, I was like, it's, it's tough. To be honest with you, it's really tough for them. And I feel for them because everywhere they look at, everywhere they turn, there's nothing faithful around, around what they see. We're living in no, a secular not. world where it doesn't promote the faith. It doesn't like the faith. It mocks the faith. It humiliates the faith. So for youth to turn around and go against that, it takes a lot of guts. And look, they will really need God in that for them to change. They can't do it on their own. Mm. They really need to sit down and pray to God and really listen to what God says. The problem is, Isaac, we don't listen to God. To be honest, the reason why we don't listen is because we're scared. We're scared that he's telling us something to do something that we don't want to do. So I want to uh, um, get your a little bit more elaboration on listening because... Just last week, I was talking to the Archbishop about that, and we were talking about prayer. And I, and I was t telling him about how I had a listen. It was just a YouTube video of a minister from America, and he spoke about that. He said something that we don't do enough in prayer is just shutting up and just listening. So what, what do you, how do you describe that? Yeah, I think the problem is, especially with the young people, um, Isaac, we feel that we need to say some words in order for our prayer to be authentic. Yeah. You know, if we don't say enough words and if it's not long enough, you know, it's not authentic. But um, sometimes, man, sometimes you just got to be silent. Sometimes, you know, I don't say a single word to, to God. I, okay. just, I just listen. And you know what, Isaac? As soon as you start listening, man, you start to realize what he's trying to say to you. You know, you start to realize slowly, you know, it, 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 like God doesn't put you in dramatic situations. You know, he takes baby steps with you. Mm. But I think if, some, if, if a youth wants to know more about the faith, if he wants to really get close to God, yeah. All you got to do, Isaac, is look at Christ, whether it's through a statue, a portrait, an image, whatever it is, and just listen 
and I guarantee you if they're opened to, uh, to listen to that word, to hear his voice, God does speak through it. But the only problem is, Isaac, we're so loud in this world that we don't hear him. The problem is, Isaac, this is what happens with a lot of the youth. I'm working with the youth for the past 11 years. We, we watch a movie, we kick back, watch a movie with the boys, a very loud night. And we go, as soon as we, as soon as we come to our, um, to our house, we kneel and we think we can hear God. No way you'll be able to hear God. Because you've just right. come from a, from, from a very loud environment. You've, you, you're trying to give two, three minutes to God. How is that, how is that possible? I want. It's, it's exactly like this when I watch a movie, for example, Isaac, when you watch a movie, and it's a really good movie, you really enjoyed it, and you finish the movie and then you say, okay, I need to go pray so I can, so I can go to bed. The only thing that's in your mind, Isaac, it's the movie. Because the whole brain, the whole, your whole mind is filtered in that movie. You've just come from a from an atmosphere. You can't go to a different atmosphere. So it really takes time. So in order to hear God's voice, you will need to first prep the prayer. So, so it, it takes time. So you got to really, first of all, meditate on the scripture, read, some, read, 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 a, read a book, um, read the Bible, read a saint book, and then go into prayer with that in your mind. So what you've done, you've changed the atmosphere that you were in. I mean, if you've just come up from a club and you come in kneel, kneel in front of God, that atmosphere hasn't changed. You're still in the atmosphere of the clubbing moment, you know, that loud yeah. voice, loud music. So we, you really need to kind of prep. I remember one of the bishops in America, he said, um, the interview was saying to him, how long do you pray for? And he goes, five minutes. In the interview, I laughed. She goes, but you're a bishop. How can you pray five minutes? He goes, I pray five minutes, but I take, I, um, I prepare it for 30 minutes. Uh -huh. So it's getting into the atmosphere, and that's the only way you can be able to hear God's voice. And only if you're really open to it. But the problem is, I think we're too scared, Isaac, because we know what God wants at the end of the day. All of us know what he wants, but we're too scared. What does what a normal day look like for you? What, do you? what do you think some of your, obviously prayer, but what are some of your habits that you find that keep you, I suppose, connected and inspired? I think what connects me most to my faith, um, Isaac, it's the, it's the vibrant and the faith that youth have. You know, and I always encourage um, the, all the youth that are on my list, you know, when they message me and say, I'm sorry, I'm going to ask another question. I say, no, no, don't apologize. I go, don't apologize when asking me questions. I go, it's good because you're digging deeper into your faith. And I always tell them, I go, no matter what question you have, like, you tell me. Because it shows to me that you're trying to dig deep into your faith. And that keeps me going. Knowing there's people out there that want to learn the faith, they want to share into that in the spiritual life. I love it, you know, Isaac, and it keeps me going. And I think, and I'm not trying to be biased here, and I think the Chaldeans do it the best. You know, one thing about the Chaldeans, Isaac, and I'm not being biased, I promise you, I've seen a lot of communities, I've been, a lot, I've been around a lot, but there's something about the Chaldeans that, you know, especially the younger generation, you know, they love their faith, Isaac, you know, and it's crazy because they have something that I didn't have when I was younger, you know, I envy them because it's beautiful, and I was trying to, you know, to keep it going, you know, to show it to, to you know, don't hide it, don't mm -hmm. hide it, and, and that's what keeps me going, it really does, it's, it's the church and the youth that, you know, give me that, that strength that I need. To always keep going and it's what it is like isn't it it's always about other people you know right. before before jesus it was all about you know how can i make myself happy by using other people now it is how can i make that person happy and has an effect on me when i see that person happy when it's joyful it replicates and comes back to me and i'm full of joy exactly and giving we, re we receive exactly um, what about have you come across being a youth group leader for i think what was it 11 years now have you ever come across uh, people that are in the wrong path? Like so far down the wrong path, it's close to you know end of life for them. Yeah, look, Isaac, I used to work in a prison, so oh. my job my job mm -hmm. in a prison was to um, 
to help the Catholics, help the Catholic, Catholic prisoners. So every Catholic that used to come into prison, I would um, introduce myself to them. I would introduce them to the mass. We have a mass. I would give them a Bible. I would try to encourage them to keep going and um, study the faith and learn the faith. Wow. How and long did you do that for? I've done it for almost a year and a half. And, right. and Isaac and I met, I probably met a thousand prisoners who were Catholics. Yeah. But, um, but you know, Isaac, I saw a lot of respect from Catholic prisoners. You know, when they swore in front of me, they would apologize they swore in front of me, which you don't hear much out, you know, from, from the outside world also. Yeah. You, know, you know, I used to meet with, um, you know, rapists, you know, murderers, you know, all kinds of, um, of acts from prisoners. And, you know, and I just sat, sit with them. And did they and want to talk to you? They've always wanted to talk to me. Okay. The reason why, Isaac, because we were the only people there, the chaplains, who were there for them, and they knew that. So the prisoners, Isaac, they're very smart. They have, because they've they got plenty of time to, uh, to, um, to study the people's behaviors. Yeah. And they knew we were the only ones there to, um, for themselves. So yeah. they took a lot of appreciation for that. Um, and look, all they wanted, Isaac, is not for us to talk theologically, not to talk to you know, us telling about Jesus, about God. It's just for us to listen to them. Mm -hmm. That's all they wanted. They just wanted someone to listen to. And by listening, you know, I remember the, one thing my boss is telling me, she goes, when you go to prison, she goes, you don't change people. She goes, they change themselves. She goes, you can't change them. And you know, Isaac, when I started speaking to them, and I said to them, I go, what is your story? So they tell me their story. And by them telling their story, Isaac, they get their answer on how to become a better, how to, how to become a better person, how to mm. become a better Christian. Yeah, they find I never have to tell, yep, yeah, I never have to tell them. All they wanted was someone to listen to them. Yeah. So, so yeah, so... Look, I never say, um, give up on, you know, people like that, you know, but what the people are, you know, some people say to me, my head, they're rapists, they're murderers, but Isaac, man, I've met lovely, lovely murderers, you know, people who are given out, who will be given out their lives for, for other people, but circumstances, you know, Isaac, sometimes changes, you know, the environment changes, they feel like they've been attacked, they feel like they've been all cornered. One thing, Isaac, I noticed from all the prisoners is that people don't, didn't show them any love. Mm. You know, and, and then Isaac, you know, and I know some, some people will probably find it bad to say, you know, some people who have never felt love in their life, Isaac, from the beginning when they were born, they've never felt that love abandoned by their family, you know, tossed around from one house to another. And, you know, when they get older and you start to realize, when you hear their story, you say, man, this guy had never had a chance to become a better person. Mm. You know, he, he just never had a chance. And, and I saw that, you know, this person was going to become in prison one way or another because he never was brought in a family where there was love. He was abandoned by his family. They were into drugs. He went from one house to another, abandoned. But what love is going to come from this person? He doesn't even know what love is. Mm. You know, so I think it takes, I think it takes a dramatic difference, um, Isaac, especially amongst Christians, of which a glimpse of love to other people, sometimes they never forget it. Yeah. And it changes people's lives to the point that we will never imagine it. Yeah, yeah absolutely right. Well, we've, we've spoken a lot about... Um, the great things about the Caldean community and, and our culture. Um, I want to talk about, a, I think, a touchy subject that a lot of people, I think, sweep under the rug um, in church and everything. And I've known this for a while. I mean, I, I grew up in Brisbane, but, you know, we had a few families in, in Sydney that my parents would take us down to visit. You know, now I live in New South Wales. But I know that a lot of Iraqis that, and Chaldeans came to Australia. You know, they, they left, left their life behind. But... You know, I've heard of the Assyrian gangs. I've heard of the, you know, the drug problem, the gambling problems. And, and now I'm hearing it more and more. 
you know, in, in places in Sydney. I, I don't think it's as bad as in Melbourne, nowhere near, but um, that for me, I feel like there's a little bit of, uh, you know, there, there's a gap right now and people who are in the wrong path, they can't really, they, they feel afraid to reach out to the church, I think, because a lot of times our culture, uh, I'm always an upfront person. They like to sweep things like this under the rug and not talk about it and because it, it's shame. Yeah. But, you know, there's people that I think I feel, I feel like are getting left behind and there's no help from what could you, my question I have for you is, again, someone who's in those situations that is just so far removed from church and, you know, might have a gambling problem, sex addiction, uh, whatever it is, what would you say to someone like that if you were sitting with them right now? Yeah, I was like, you know what, you're totally right. We do, we do sweep stuff like that under the rug. Um, especially, I'm, I'm not too sure exactly how Sydney is, but in Melbourne, we have a drug problem also. Um, our youth have a lot of drug problem. And I think the reason why they don't come forward to church or to the youth group leaders or the youth group is because they know that they're going to get judged and they're going to be left out and unwelcomed. And go. I see that. I see that a lot. I see that. And that's the biggest problem we have, Isaac. If only we allow them to come in, if only we open the doors, they will be coming in multitudes, Isaac. I remember one certain girl who was into drugs and she messaged me. She goes, Maya, I want to come to youth group, but I know there are some girls there who know that I've been into drugs, yeah. who are not going to be very welcoming, who are going to gossip about me. And you know what, Isaac? I said, look, I can just come. If anyone says anything to you, I mean, you let me know. Mm. I mean, you let me know and I go, I will take care of it. I go, trust me, just come. And I could just hear, hear today's tonight's talk. And she came, Isaac, and it felt like a burden lifted on her, you know, out of her shoulders. She felt so, so, you know, welcomed in our, um, in our youth group. She wants to come back and she wants to come back in the community. But like you said, Isaac, the problem is we are very unwelcoming um, people sometimes. As yeah. loving we are, as forgiving we are, as merciful, we can be the total opposite. Very judging. And I can, yeah, the, our community can be very unforgiving. Yeah. They can be very unmerciful. And I think that's the reason why these people don't come back. If we only open our doors, if we only let them in without any bias, uh, agendas, or any judgment, then we will see them come in, 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 in flocks. And and where, you know, where, where can someone like that start? If, I mean, if, if uh, by chance someone's listening to our conversation and, uh, you know, they've just, everything was going good at one point in life, but it was just a collection of things that happened. You know, it might have been, they started playing a bit of pokies and they just got worse, got in cigarettes, drugs, and it just snowball effect. Mm. And they feel like, man, I'm, my life's a mess. Where, where would you, where can someone like that start? You know, Isaac, it, it takes time to, it takes trust. You know, whether it's a gambler, whether it's a, you know, drug addict, whether it's, you know, is a, is a murder, whoever it is, you know, if they trust you, they will come, um, they will come to you. You know, and it takes that, it takes a leap of faith to just go someone. And, and look, I think if you build up your reputation as, you know, trust, you know, when I, when I talk to people who've got um, um, even pornographic addictions, it's one of the biggest problems in our youth also. Yeah. When they tell me, uh, first thing I'll say to them, I'll get anything you say to me, will not leave this, um, will not leave this room. Okay. Anything you say is between me and you. It gives the confidence to that person that no matter what they say, will stick by us and it will never go, go out anywhere else. So and I think like that... Confession. Yeah, look, and I think it, that should work with every, um, with every friend also, you know. Um, someone tells you their problem, you know, you do not have the right to go tell other people. You know what I mean? They've entrusted you with this, with, the, with this crucial information they have in their life. And mm -hmm. the last thing they want is for you to go give it, tell someone else. 
So look, anyone that's struggling out there, you know, anyone that's got any problem addictions, man, just come seek someone that's part of the church and just, you know, pull your heart out and let them down to the right position. You know, to the right people. Anyone that comes up to me tells me, man, what can I do? I'll point them out to the right, the right places. And look, if they're willing, I'm always willing to um, let them uh, be part of the church, part of the youth group. You know, we're, it's church meant to be for, you know, sinners. It's not meant to be for the sinless. Correct. Yeah. I appreciate you talking about that because I, I feel like that's something that we we, do, we definitely do need to do better in. And I'm really pleased to hear that you're, you know, you're working with, especially the youth when it comes to drugs and, you know, these things. Because uh, one thing that really got my attention about your dream is that it, it's such a, um, like it's, there's so much, so much in that, so much depth in that, the fact that you saw Jesus and you couldn't hear him speak because of the noise. I mean that that just describes the world that we're in. It's it's yeah. it's a phenomenal uh, phenomenal dream. Um, let's talk about uh, so now life is good. You're in Melbourne. You're inspiring people. You're a father. You're a husband. Um, what's your favorite thing about being a dad? Well, my kids come into my bed and they and they kick me in the stomach, telling me to wake up. <laughs> I had that at three in the morning last night. I'm sure. I'm sure you would. I was about to three say that. Three in the morning. <laughs> I, was, I, was nervous, I was nervous about talking to you, not because I talking to you, just so I could finish my my sentence. Because <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, like I think it's a gift from being a, being a father, man. It's it's beautiful. Um, Isaac, you know, seeing the kids, you know, and I think my goal in life is to raise them up to be um they're as Catholic as they can be. And I always tell my wife, you know, we you know our friends joke around. They said, you know. The old girl's gonna marry my son. And I said, no, 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 my old girls are gonna be nuns. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I really, the, the sad part is, Isaac, a lot of families, parents don't encourage their children to enter the covenant, you know, to enter a religious life. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, try to encourage my girls to enter into that. And there's nothing more beautiful I'd want than for my girls to give their love to Christ. But if they don't want to, that's, that's totally up to them. But I'm gonna encourage them. And I'm gonna try to make them as Catholic as they can be as long as I'm living. Beautiful. That's, that's my duty as a father, and, and that will be a tireless job that I'm willing to do with for the rest of my life. When I spoke to Father Douglas uh, Albazi, he cracked me up. Like I was almost crying and from laughter because I asked him when he became a priest, were his parents happy about it? And he said, absolutely not. <laughs> he said, because they, they're always associated, especially in Iraq, if you were becoming a priest or a nun, uh, it's because something was wrong with you or... or or if he didn't have money, he said his grandmother came over to the house and brought bread. And he said, why did you bring this for? She goes, I thought you didn't have any, uh, any bread. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a sad part too, isn't it? Like I said, if you think it's all, if you get, if you failed in life, then just be a priest. <laughs> yeah, no, no we, we, we'll change that. No, well, yeah, it's, it's a privilege. I think being, being a priest is a privilege. It's, it's, a, it's a calling from God. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And I think it's one thing that we lack. We don't show much respect to priests. And I think it's something that we should, um, we should show more of. And we should encourage our youth to, um, to think about. We even have one of their youth who have come to um, Sydney to study priesthood. Yeah. Um, his name is Jacob, which is really good. We're really proud of him. So we're working as much as we can. You know? And I think everyone should be asking the question, am I called, what am I called for? And am I called to be a priest? Am I called to be a nun? We should always ask those questions. Can I just ask you one thing as well? When you spoke earlier about we're we're a little bit afraid to listen to God, uh, and and I know what you mean by that, but I'd like you to explain it to everybody because that's that's really I struggled with that for a long time in my life. 
because I always felt like he wanted me to do something, but I was a f- I didn't want to listen to it because I was actually scared of that task because I felt like that's a really big task. Mm. You know, I, I'm, on, I'm on my own journey, but, you know, for, for a long time there, I just, I could feel it there and I just kept pushing it away. Uh, but then eventually you just have to pretty much give into it. Yeah, well, the beautiful thing about God, Isaac, is he doesn't give up. Yeah. And, and, and there's times that he will uh, that you will reject his calling. There's times that you will, you know, you won't accept what he wants you to do. But you know what? He's not the type of God where he says, you know what? You didn't do this, therefore that's it. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to bother anymore. And that's mm-hmm. the most beautiful thing about God. He keeps going. And you know, Isaac, there's one thing, there's one specific moment, and I know that was 100% that this is God talking to me. You know, I, started, I listened to God and I said, God, what do you want me to do tomorrow? And just his voice, Isaac said to me, Mahia, get up in front of everyone at work. And we have like 500 workers at one of the jobs I do, secular jobs. And trust me, it's a very unfriendly Catholic place, which is beautiful because it gives me an opportunity to be a witness to them. And he goes, get up in front of everyone and tell them to stop their language and stop swearing because they swear a lot and, they're, and it's a very bad environment. And you know, Isaac, and you can just imagine, man, oh. it, it, I felt so, and, and I didn't want to do it, Isaac, because you can imagine how hard that is. Get up in front of everyone and kind of saying to them, guys, stop swearing, especially in a secular, secular workplace. You know, it, you know, you don't do that. It's just humiliating. It's very, it's very <laughs> embarrassing. And you know what, Isaac, I put it off. And he kept going, I put it off, he kept going, he kept going, he just didn't give up. And I said, you know what, God, you're doing this too many times, man. I'm going to keep going. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it, and that's it now. So just so you can stop telling me to do it. And I was like, one morning, I had the courage to get up and do it. And I was like, it, was most, it felt so beautiful when I'd done that. You know, when I'd done that, people started to, you know, they woke up, they said, you know, they were saying to me afterwards, I just never realized how much I swear. And thank you for bringing this to our attention. And it became and a witness. A very positive reaction, you know, and they, wow. you know, people come up to me saying, "My, which faith do you belong to? You know, do you, do you believe in God?" Like, and like, and just these questions kept arising, wow. and people want to know more about the faith. And I said, "This is what God wanted me to do." I mean, it wasn't easy, but he, God knew that for by doing this, there's a lot of effects coming behind it. Sometimes it's not easy, Isaac, you know. And I know sometimes God calls people to do things that aren't easy, but you know, Isaac, we're not called to be comfortable. No. You know, as soon as you're comfortable, you've, you've lost it. It's, you know, you become lazy. You know, so you need to get out of your comfort things. zone. Zero things worthwhile in life come from comfort. Exactly, yeah. Nothing comes from comfort. Yeah. Only sins and laziness. Even, even the lifting of weights, there's no... <laughs> <laughs> no, no. If, you, if you don't pick up those weights and pay in and work on them, they're never going to do anything. It's just the law of life. It is. Yeah. So how... Um, We've got to wrap up. I mean, I think I could talk to you for hours on end. Uh, so I really appreciate your time, man. But um, uh, And I'm going to watch this space. So it might be farther down the track. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll never say no to God. If, if he's calling me, I, I'm more than happy to, um, to answer yeah, well. that call. But it's not like... But I say it with respect because it's not like uh, it's it, it's going to make... How do I say it? It's... It's not like you are missing anything right now. You know, what you're doing is amazing as it is. You know, it's, it's, it's enough and it's, and it's beautiful. So yeah, keep, keep on going. Um, how, how are you different from the person you were, say, five years ago? Do you feel like you're ever evolving? Five years ago? Yeah. I think that we always have to have um, producing fruits, Isaac. You know, once, once you don't produce any fruits, you, you'll have to sit down and really question, well, what am I doing in life at the moment? Why aren't I producing any fruit? You know what I mean? If you become dull and comfortable and, you know, you know, you really need to ask that question. So we always have to be producing fruits. You know, the harvest, the harvest is long, you know, 
and it is a few laborers. So we need to work, we need to work on the harvest, we need to work on the people, we need to keep going and you know, and we should never stop. Faith is not a, um, it's not a journey where you meet and you, yes, if you've reached a level, it's a continuous journey for the rest of your life. You know, and as soon as you pass away, Isaac, that journey continues. And you know, it doesn't block off. It continues by how you were in your life, continues to your, to your life in your kingdom of heaven. So we always need to be producing fruits in our faith. Once you stop producing fruits, you need to sit down and really look deep into your heart and ask, well, what's, what's happening in my life? What am I doing? Yeah. You know, and just asking those questions. And I think it's good, Isaac, to always ask questions. You know, once we stop asking questions, that's when we start to fall. Hmm. You know, we need to ask questions. What am I doing? Is, is what I'm doing, is it right? You know, like, you know, asking God also, God, you know, is this what you want me to do today? You know, is this what you want me to do? Like, is this what you want me to do before? You know, is, what do you want me to do? What are you trying to say to me? You know, we always need to be asking our questions, you know, why is it the best thing that can get us to faith? Brilliant. Um, and, and I think what you're doing is, is so needed right now in the world, you know, because um, like uh, I see with schools, you know, being a parent now, I can see with schools and all, it, we're living in a society where they are, I mean, and I've spoken to religious leaders, I've spoken to politicians, where there is a big movement for a godless society, you know, in terms of obviously in the media, but also even in our, in our communities. Uh, there was, I spoke to um, Dr. Kafataris about the fact that they were trying to um, make religion, you know, not protected under anti-discrimination, you know, so there's a lot of, there's a, there's a pretty strong movement. Is, are you are you pretty, uh, I suppose, familiar with all that? I saw that firsthand, Isaac. You know, when um, when the campaign occurred, you know, same-sex marriage. You know, I was very vocal. I was very vocal with that, and you know, and we always getting a lot of hate. You know, from from people from my community also, which was really surprising, but from others also. Mm. And I remember I was asked two of my friends to um to accompany me to um the CBD, which is the main area in Melbourne, the Flinders Station, where yeah. everyone that's where everything is. Everything happens in that area. I know that well. Yeah. And I saw, um, and I would pick up some signs and just say, basically standing there just saying, um, it's okay to vote now. The sign said, it's okay to vote now. And we stood there in a peak hour and Isaac, I saw the worst of the worst from the Australians. Okay. Isaac, I, I saw things that I never thought I would see from the Australians. And, and, and that kind of, um, it kind of scared me because I said, well, is this where this uh, culture is going to? You know, Isaac, we were, we were getting threatened by, by knives. You know, this guy was coming up to us and you know, I'm about to stab you if you don't put this sign down. And then when people, the people were spitting at us, people were swearing at us, you know, Isaac, there was like, there must have been like a thousand people, you know, from the, from those couple of hours we were there. And only a couple of people had the courage to come shake our hand. Wow. And I can guarantee you, Isaac, there would have been more people who, who believed what we were saying, who agreed with us, but they were just too scared to come to us and say to us, you know what, well done. Mm. And, and Isaac, I saw the worst of the worst, and I totally agree with you, with our cultures going in a very anti-religious way. And mm. it's a very scary one, because if we don't hold on to it now, now we're gonna we're gonna lose it. We're gonna lose it, you know, as as far as blink of an eye. Well, the good news is I keep meeting more people like yourself since I started this podcast, and and uh, it it reassures me and uh, to know that um, you know people are speaking the word and people are spread, spreading the message and people are actually standing up with a spine and saying you know you know no, no more of this you know we're not going to uh, you know shy away and be those people who just uh, are voiceless. So. Yeah. Like, I was like, that's what we need to do. We just need to be um, voice for the people, you know, and we just need to recruit as many people as we can, you know. I know what I teach always my youth, never be afraid of your faith. Do you know, if you, need to, if you need to stick up to your faith, you need to stick up to your faith. Don't give in. 
And, and the beautiful thing is they, they listen and they want to. That's a good thing. The, the, only third, the, first, the first step is you have to want it. If you don't want it, you can't have it. You know, it's, you need to have, that, um, to have the idea that you want to step into the faith of God. And look, it's not easy. It's not an easy part, Isaac, as you know. Yeah. You know you're going to get lucky, you, say, you know, you're going to get humiliated, you're going to get mocked. You're going against the tides. Yeah. But, you know, we've got, a, we've got a strong God behind us who can push us through the tides. 110%. Um, well, look, we, we better wrap it up because, like I said, I could talk to you for hours, but I'll ask you a question, and this is a question I ask everyone that's on the show, sure. and it'll be, it'll be quite interesting to get your, your response to this. But um, if, there's, if you could get a time machine and go back um, and visit your 18-year-old self uh, and you had the opportunity to give him some advice, what would you say? I would say my turn to, turn to God. Yeah. I would say my turn to God, but at the same time, Isaac, I'm not too sure if I would, because that made me who I am today. Well, that, would he listen? That, that, was, that would be my... No way. No way. <laughs> he, would have, he would have laughed at me. He would, he would tell me to get lost. <laughs> but um, no, I think it made me who I am today. Maybe get away from me. Yeah, it probably, probably would. He probably, <laughs> probably would. I, would, I, would, I wouldn't take anyone uh, who would just tell me what to do. I don't yeah. like it. I would, I would, you know, I'd go the way doing what I want to do. But I think it's good, yeah, Isaac. You know, it's good to fail sometimes in life. It's good to to do a lot of things unintentionally, but if you do fall into it, because it makes you a stronger person. Yeah. You know, if I never lost a son, Isaac, I would never know what it feels like to lose a son. You know, only when I lost a son did I realize how it feels when somebody loses a son. Then I can connect with that person. Correct. You know what I mean? So in a way, I would love for my for my youth, for, you know, to be a very religious youth, you know, to be to be sinless throughout my uh, throughout my years. But God has called me, and I thank God so much that He didn't let me go throughout my whole life without His calling. If I did, and if I was in my deathbed, Isaac, you know, without His faith, man, it'd be a very useless life. Yeah, no, you are very blessed, my friend. That's brilliant. Well, uh, look, I just want to say a big thank you for your time. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um, you know, God give you strength and keep you know doing what you're doing. You're doing an amazing thing. So yeah, it's. Uh, I think the community is very grateful for what you do. So, thank, thank you, Isaac, and thank you for inviting me, and thank you for um, all that you're doing. Also, I mean, it takes people like you also to keep going and you know and push into um, push into the faith and trying to inspire people also. So we need more people like you, Isaac, and more podcasts and more people to listen to your um, interviews. Bless you. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Isaac. Take care.